0: All right, welcome back. I'm your host, Ryan Rothstein. On a Tuesday, back from uh, the holiday weekend. Hope everyone had a great Memorial Day and weekend, even though I had to uh, dust off my winter jacket. It's all right. Still uh, enjoyed some time with family and friends. Hope you did the same. I'm sure our next guest uh, enjoyed his weekend as well. John McMullen, our NFL Eagles insider. Follow him on Twitter at SI phillyvoice.com, si.com, and host of Birds 365, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Johnny Mack, how are we doing?
1: Doing well, Ryan. Yeah, I I saw this uh, glowing orb in the sky on Monday. I I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Kind of a washout of the weekend. Disappointing.
0: Yeah, disappointing to say the least. I mean... Sort of comparable to uh, Ben Simmons and his offensive game.
1: Oh, hey, you know, over for 11. I mean, uh, uh, he, he hit it, and then he went on a run. What, was, what did he finish, 5 of five of 10 in the game, 5 of 11? That's, uh, that's a heck of a free throw shooter. But you can't criticize Ben Simmons, right? Can't criticize No. Him. No, no, sure no, you got to play 4 on 5 offense in, in the stretch of the game. This is why I said it was on Rich earlier. Rich's show earlier. The Brooklyn Nets. You have to pray. And and by the way, none of this matters if Joel Embiid can't play. But if he if he's healthy and and ready to go, um, which is big if, uh, maybe bigger than him, you can't beat Brooklyn. They have three killers at the end of games. If you're in a close game, you're losing. They have three closes. Yeah. And you're playing four on five offensively. So to beat. To beat Brooklyn, you've got to be up by 10, 15 points in the fourth quarter, which is possible if Joel plays well. But that's the kind of games you have to win. You can't win close games. Um, I don't know how uh, other way to say it. Uh, They cannot win close games how they are uh, built to this point. And I get what Doc Rivers, I don't kill Doc Rivers. He's trying to protect the player. That's fine. That's all nonsense. But, <sighs> I, I mean, the people who think this guy is all, uh, it, it's, it's bizarre to me. And I put that on Twitter today. It's okay to say, does a lot of things really, really well. Does a couple things really, really poorly. And those things kill you at the end of games.
0: You know, I, I I get what I get. Doc trying to protect his player. He's only going to say certain things. An oppressor. He's coming off a loss. He knew those questions were coming. He's frustrated. He's angry. You know, the list goes on and on. But come on, dude. Like, don't don't talk to us like we're idiots and say, well, analytically, one point per 100 possessions, and then say, oh, you want me to take Ben out, Ben Simmons. I, Phil Jackson did it with Shaq. If if he can do it with him, yeah. you can do it with Ben freaking Simmons.
1: Yeah, you, you, you're right. I, I mean, I have no problem with people who criticize Shaq. I just yeah. can I get what he's doing from a coaching perspective. Right, me too. But yeah, he can handle it better. He, he I mean, they're valid questions. I mean, I, I've said from the start, look, Daryl Morey understands the problem. He understands the problem. He tried to trade him. He tried to trade him. Um, Doc Rivers understands the problem, but they're trying to do the best with the hand that they're dealt, uh, and right now they have him. And I've said this pretty consistently. They're going to play him, too, at the end of games because two things happen. He either turns the corner, um, becomes a better, more well-rounded player. You win a championship. That's great. That's the best-case scenario. Worst case scenario, it becomes abundantly clear you got to move on, and it makes it easier to move on, even if you get less value than people would expect because they've seen the flaws.
0: Yeah, it's um like nothing's going to change at this point. Like you know, no, well,
1: I agree with that. I, that's pie in the sky. That something right change. You're right. Yeah. I, I mean, he's never been this bad a free throw shooter. You would hope. He, he could get to the, you know, 65 level. You would hope he would get to the point where he can make some big shots down the stretch of the game because he's done that in, in, in the past. That's gotten really – I mean, I, he started over for 11. That's absurd. That is absurd. I think Bob Vitron, I'll give him the credit. He's the old stat guy for the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News. Um, he had put a second-worst free-throw shooting performance in NBA history to this point in a series. And that was after making five. Remember, he started that 0 for 11. That was by far the worst. That's absurd. Shaq laughs at that.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm not even mad. I'm actually impressed. Um, It's – I don't know what happened to this city, John, and and we're not going to spend this whole segment – I don't know. I don't know what happened. No, but like – it, let me just
1: finish it's the not thought. everybody. Gotcha. I, I want to say it's not everybody. There's a lot of people who, who criticize them, but there is, a, and it's a growing minority, I would say. And they just, I, I see. Oh, here goes the, the, Media trying to, trying to run a guy out of town. <laughs> we, don't give a, you know right. we don't care. You know what? We don't care. I, I mean, to ask somebody who covers. A sport objectively to not point out the obvious faults of this player?
2: What, what do you
1: expect? I, I, I mean, if any other. Could you imagine LeBron James going 0 for 11 from the free throw line?
0: What oh would goodness. the reaction be? Huh. I, I can't I, even I, imagine. I mean, yeah.
1: I, I, it's absurd to me. And she used to be. You know, the, the old reputation of the, the hardest town to play in. I, I don't know what happened. Obviously, it's a younger generation. They don't feel the same way. Uh, there's this blind loyalty. Well, good luck with that. I mean, the, the flaws are obvious, and, and everybody can see them.
0: It's, um, you know, it's, it's social media and Twitter. Like, you, you tweet out about an athlete's flaws – and people interpret that for you're you're not able to acknowledge any of the strengths, and you are bashing them. It's like, dude, like how can anyone with two eyes who knows sports even on an average level not comprehend that Ben is a liability and it's a massive issue? But
1: well, I would ask these people to, to look at okay at Bradley Beal, which is laughable, but uh, maybe even Russell Westbrook. Um, he's not you know the greatest shooter in the world Uh, I mean you would be laughing at Russell Westbrook if he started the series 0 for 11 from the free throw line you would be mocking him mercilessly because it's it's unbelievable it's so poor it's so ridiculous you know so if you look at it from that standpoint I mean, that's how other people who don't have skin in the game, who aren't just reacting with emotion, are saying, yeah, this just isn't good enough. That's not hating. That's that's facts. That's reality.
0: You've posted um, you know a handful of new articles since we last spoke, John, and we're going to get to all of those topics in just a minute. But I, I do really want your thoughts on the fan behavior we've seen over the past week or two out oh, of their idiots i mean
1: <laughs> you know it's interesting because i i i do look i i, I mean i know everybody was cooped up i i, I don't i don't understand the the, the mentality to want to throw something at, at an athlete but again we're talking about emotion now i'm a wrestling guy i go back to when you know, Roddy Piper was the you know greatest heel in the history of the business. There was unbelievable amounts of uh, stuff being thrown at him on a daily basis. Uh, the world's changed. You can't do that stuff anymore. Um, I don't know why it's so hard for some people to understand that. Uh, but there does seem to be a problem. The NBA's got to get a hold of it. Like, I, I think, you know, yesterday was probably the worst. I mean, there's somebody going on the floor and they had to be tackled, which is worse than a water bottle or popcorn or any of that stuff. I mean, just sit and watch the game. You're paying extraordinary amounts of money to go to these games. Why do you want to get kicked out?
0: Yeah, it's, um, and it's strange. I feel like now it's become like a trend. Like, like each building, each city, someone decides to be the next, uh, the next jackass. But, uh,
1: well, yeah. Then you have knuckleheads who want publicity, and they want to be on social media. You know, social media is the the end of our society. We're just we're playing out the string as a society. <laughs> we're done. We're cut. <laughs> we're we're like a bad baseball team trying to hit one sixty two. We're we're we're. Social media has destroyed us.
0: Yeah, we're like the Phillies. Um, yeah. All right, so let's uh, (laughs) – there's a lot to get to, and as I mentioned, you have um, plenty of new articles since we last chatted. Let's start with uh, Zach Ertz, and it seems to be, you know, back in the forefront here, uh, the Zach Ertz where and when will he be traded topic.
1: Yeah, I I mean, because today is June 1st, and that's the demarcation line of the NFL offseason. So, um, you know – it becomes a little bit easier from a salary cap standpoint. Uh, and the Eagles need some money. They got uh, $4 million today at 4 o'clock because of previous designations on uh, all Sean Jeffrey and Malik Jackson, previous June first designations. But they also got to sign their rookie class still. They got about $7.8 million. You, you take off 3.7 of that for the rookies. Um, and they still need some holes to be filled. And if you start talking about really big trades like Julio Jones, which it's it's not going to happen. But they were interested. They did call. We have had that confirmed. They have you know at least entertained the discussion. Um, if you want to make a move like that, if you want to make even moves like Stephen Nelson, you need some more flexibility. Zach Ertz would be an obvious piece to that. He would uh by trading him even releasing him you get eight and a half million dollars of cap space so that would be very helpful uh and Eagles could do some other things as well with pletcher cox as far as a restructure lane johnson it also makes it easier to trade people so brandon brooks talked to us last week he confirmed that there were trade discussions that becomes easier uh a lot of things could happen and and that's why june 1st is a is a key date, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen now. It doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next 24 hours. I I will admit that my ears kind of perked up uh, when I saw the Bills restructure uh, Stefan Diggs to get uh, money under their cap. Excuse me. Getting all choked up talking about this, Ryan. (laughs) Uh, to get money over their, under their cap uh, because that makes you think they're trying to make a move. They need a tight end. That's a team that would make a lot of sense for a veteran player because they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender if everything goes right. So I, I do think Buffalo is a team to keep an eye on, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen, as I said, right away.
0: Uh, you mentioned Julio Jones. Your thoughts uh, and updates with him?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, he's obviously going. He, he's pretty much another one of those players forcing himself out of a situation he didn't necessarily want to be in. Um, and who knows if he knew he was on the air with Shannon Sharp or not. I, I think he knew, but... Uh, Unless he confirms it, we'll never completely know. But uh, I do think he's 32 years old. Um, he makes a lot of money. So, similar to what I said about Zach Ertz, you know, it's going to be a contender. I think that makes the most sense. A team that thinks they're really close. Seattle seems to be the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. Tennessee has been speculated as the leader. I think from an Atlanta standpoint, the obvious. When you make these types of moves, you want to get them out of the conference at the bare minimum, so I think they would prefer to send them to Tennessee or New England, but you know, if you get the best deal, you get the best deal, Uh, and that would put a team like Seattle in the equation, and they've had their own issues with Russell Wilson uh, and him complaining about the offensive line, but I got to tell you, if you had Julio Jones that became Metcalf and Lockett, that's that's going to make the
0: quarterback pretty happy. New article you have out on SI.com, John, uh, talking about the defense and new defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, uh, taking illusion of complexity uh, to the defensive side of things. Only Darius Slay right now that you can really rely on in the secondary slash DB uh, spot. Uh, So talk a little bit more about what you wrote.
1: Yeah, I love JG as he wants to be called. Um, you know, because when he had his press conference, well, I, he was so uh, refreshing because he offered information. Now, I think that will change um, as the PR staff gets a hold of him, Howie Roseman gets a hold of him, uh, and they tell him to tone it down a little bit. But I think the funniest part uh, of his uh, opening press conference with us, well, the funniest part was him saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you, but I wasn't allowed. The second funniest part was when he said, basically, and and I put this in the article, I'm just paraphrasing, but the exact quote is in there. uh, Everybody runs the same thing. Everybody. Everybody. So, you know, you you constantly hear both the more on the offensive side, but both sides. Uh, fans talk about uh, creativity, Ryan. you gotta be creative, Ryan. You gotta be there's no cre- creativity in this office. And then someone like Anna goes up there and tells the truth. Everybody runs the same thing. It's how you do it, how you execute. and you know that's where I think, He's going to be a little bit, and that's where I put the illusion of complexity. It's something Sean McVay talks about, and and you can see it on the offensive side of the ball in Los Angeles. What he does is a ton of pre-snap movement, um, you know, designed to to look complicated to the fan base, and it's designed to um, test the discipline of the defense and their eyes and where they go. Sometimes they panic. And then after all of that pre-snap movement is done, everything gets very simplified, very simplified as far as what they're running play-wise. And then it's about execution. I think Jonathan Gannon is going to be the same way on defense. He's going to do a lot of pre-snap, pre-snap disguising in the case of the defense. And then he's going to play cover two or cover three behind it and hope to fool the quarterback with the pre-snap stuff. And that's what we're talking about. And that's what the NFL has become. This basically cat-and-mouse game of trying to make the other side undisciplined, uh, basically. Um, You know, we always talk about the scale down practice time. Guys aren't used to it. Maybe they see something. Maybe it throws them off, and they don't do what they're supposed to do. That is the goal of every coach in this league, and – kind of a dirty little secret that John Gannon let people in on.
0: And it, it, it sounds great, and I'm not saying I doubt him by any means, but um, don't you need talent to be able to have that really be helpful and an actual disguise? You need the talent to – make things even more complicated on the other side of things. And then part two of this, John, is how many quarterbacks can you realistically fool in the NFL? I would imagine any elite veteran quarterback is going to be able to work through that um, illusion.
1: Yeah, but there aren't a lot of those guys, Ryan. There really aren't. Um, You know, yeah, you're not going to fool Tom Brady. You're not going to fool Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to fool guys like that. A lot of young quarterbacks you're going to be able to fool. And it's it's um, um, it's really you know a big part of every game plan when you're when you're uh, facing off against a younger quarterback, and you'll see it with the opposition and Jalen Hurts as the Eagles' season uh, goes on. Um, so there are certain guys uh, you know you're, you're probably going to be in trouble uh, as far as if you're trying to manipulate. Uh, what they're seeing as far as coverage is pre-snap. And then, yeah, then it comes down to talent and and execution. And it always – got. I mean, if you have good players, it's easy. I always go back to Jimmy Johnson. That's a long time ago when you could practice, and there were two of these. Um, And everybody was ultra-prepared. And, you know, that was a dynasty. And even after – had a couple – Terry Jones had a couple too many gin and tonics and went to Barry Switzer. They even won Barry Switzer, who's one of the worst coaches in the history of the NFL. But they just had better players than everybody else. And Jimmy, to his credit, you know, had the Hall of Fame offensive line, Larry Allen, Eric Williams, Mark Stepnoski, Nate Newton, on and on and on, one of the greatest running backs of all time and Emmitt Smith, they had three running plays, three running plays in that entire dynasty. Everybody knew what was coming. They couldn't do anything about it. So, yeah, it's always about talent. And if you got better players, it's going to be a lot easier for you.
0: All right, so speaking of players, and we'll keep it on the defensive side of things, Eric Wilson, linebacker coming over from Minnesota, uh, knows a lot of the terminology that Gannon's going to be using with this new scheme, Uh, new, I guess we'll see how new it really is with the illusion more so than anything else, as you discussed, but what's Wilson's role uh, going to be on this team on defense?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be uh, one of the two three-down linebackers, so he's going to be on the field all the time um, unless something drastic happens. Obviously, we always talk about injuries. We're not, you know, that's the stipulation always, but if by some strange act of God, somebody like Davion Taylor, just uh, the light switch goes off and they say, we got to get this guy on the field, um, which I, I do not think is going to happen. Um, it's Eric Wilson and Alex Singleton, and we talked about talent, and it's probably not good enough at, at the linebacker position, but it's it's better than what they had last year. So that's positivity. You know, the one thing Eric Wilson does, uh, he's undersized, he's very fast, uh, he's good coverage linebacker. Um, you know, had one of the few linebackers in football that had three sacks and three interceptions. Also had two fumble recoveries. Now, I told you what that AFC personnel director said. He's like a 20-point scorer on a bad NBA team. So (laughs) that part's not a positive. He can't stop the run. Uh, I think he's going to be the guy with the green dot on his helmet, which is the one making the communication from Jonathan Gannon to the rest of the uh, defense in the huddle. So he's going to be a very important player to this team. And he's better than what they had, but he's not good enough, is how I would describe it.
0: All right, we'll take uh, we'll take better, I guess. Um, we'll we'll see, John McMullen, every night for your football fix and basketball at seven thirty. Uh, John, what do you have cooking tomorrow on Birds Three Sixty Five with Jody Mack? Yeah,
1: uh, a big uh, get. Tomorrow, Ooh. we got Mike Sealski, and that's a big get. But an even bigger get is Amy Trask, who is the ex-CEO uh, of the uh, Raiders um, and the highest-ranking uh, female in the history of the NFL, to talk about the highest-ranking female in personnel in the history of the NFL. And Catherine Ray, who the Eagles uh, obviously promoted last week, And the reason you have to say about Catherine is that she's the highest-ranking personnel person because Amy exists, and she was the CEO. So she was even higher on the totem pole with the Raiders. Um, So nobody better to talk about that promotion and how historic it it is for not only the Eagles but the entire NFL.
0: Uh, Great get. Tomorrow, Birds 365, Johnny Mac and Jody Mac, starting at 8 a.m. on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You're not going to want to miss it. All right, John, have a good night. We'll uh, see what the Sixers do tomorrow back at the Wells Fargo Center.
1: We know Joe Wells' MRI. That'll tell tell the tale.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we may never know. Doubtful. Later, man. There he is, Johnny Mack. Johnny Mac. Dropping some knowledge, having some fun, uh, letting me bitch and moan about Ben. All right, 1919, not talking about the year the World Series was fixed. It's knotted up, 1919, Boston and Brooklyn, just under four minutes to go in the first quarter. All right, Boston, backs against the wall, keeping it close for now. Let's see if they're able to uh, maintain it and give us some entertainment. Uh, In this game five against the Brooklyn Nets, we have the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Carolina Hurricanes. No score. About seven minutes to go in the first period. Just under eight. Uh, We'll keep you updated on all the live action. 9 p.m. Portland, Denver. 10 p.m. Lakers, Phoenix. All right, let's get to the top of the hour VEASAN update. We'll come back at the 8 p.m. hour underway. Still plenty more to get to here on The Fix. Marcus Hayes from the Philadelphia Inquirer joins us at 9 p.m. Keep it locked in on The Fix, AM 1490, Sports Betting Radio.